Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 162, where in a moment we chat investing in luxury watches. That's in just a second, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time we chatted claims management companies. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and here's the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, more guests in the show this week, Phil. And this is a little first for us. We've had loads of guest experts in the show before, but never two in the same subject. So we're very lucky to have both Sam Rayner and Max Nordigian from Chrono Hunter to chat over the subject of investing in luxury watches. Now, before we get on to that in more detail, maybe you can do a, a quick sort of then to now for, for both your careers, guys. Sam first. Yeah. Hi, John. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having us today. Um, so left school, went into sports studies at college, so not at all related to, to what we're doing now. Um, then went into market research, affiliate marketing, and then ended up coming up with the idea of Krona Hunter in 2017. Uh, Max and I, and then we launched in 2018. So that's the background. I acquired my first watch personally, luxury watch in 2013. Sadly, don't own it anymore. I had to sell it on to to fund some uh, some uh, business ideas. But yeah, that was the first experience of of owning one and and seeing the value of shopping around to get the best you know get the best price for that. And then I did a bit of buying and selling prior to Krona Hunter, but that that unfortunately didn't end well. So we'll get we'll get onto that maybe a bit <laughs> later in the conversation to explain how what the the uh, potential pitfalls when you're buying or selling a luxury watch. Okay, and how about you, Max? I left school, went straight to work. I'm quite dyslexic, so school wasn't wasn't for me. I wanted to get to work and uh, try and earn some money. So I started off in the property industry in London. Uh, worked there for a long time, transacting large residential land purchases. I then purchased my first watch, which sparked the interest and obviously sparked interest of people I was working with. And then people started asking me, oh, that's nice. Where'd you get that from? Or, you know, explaining it. So I started buying and selling watches from there. And then Sam and I got together and uh, started Krona Hunter with our different skill sets. But we, we knew we both liked watches and knew there was a gap in the market. Okay. So if someone is buying a watch via Krona Hunter, how does it all work, Max? So if someone's looking to purchase a watch, they come to Krona Hunter, they input all the information on the watch they're, they're looking to purchase. It goes out to our pool of retailers who have all been verified by us and they get multiple offers for the watch they're looking for. So it's in a competitive market. So the retailers know they've got to put their best foot forward to, to get the get the business. And they're all retailers. You're not buying from the public. So it's in a safe, secure manner. I, I know I'm looking forward to this podcast today because it's not an area that I know an awful lot about myself. So I'm always keen to kind of enhance my knowledge in, in different things. And one of the questions I had, guys, was, which should somebody consider when they're buying an investment watch? I wonder if you would maybe answer that one, Sam. Yeah, there's there's lots of things to consider. 
when buying an investment watch, if you know the watch you're after, just to sort of touch on what Max just spoke about there, the best priced watches and, and the benefit of using Chrono Hunter is because the best priced watches don't often reach a point of being advertised. That it could be, you know, we're, we're um, live offers. So if an offer comes in, um, it could be a watch that's not been advertised and then gets offered straight out to a client. So one thing to consider is the price you're purchasing the watch at. You know, if it, if it's a good price or if it's overpriced, desirability. So is it in demand? Um, supply and demand is 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 massive, really, with buying an investment watch. So if you walk into the likes of Rolex, if you walk into like an authorized Rolex dealer and ask them for a Rolex Daytona, for example, they'll politely tell you that there's no chance that of you buying that watch. So, yeah, I think now it's maybe ten years they'll state. The waiting list is or they've changed it to a wish list and it's often you know them looking after clients that have spent a lot of money there to acquire that watch so brand so just just to sort of get back onto the the topic of what to consider the brand so rolex for example is a desirable brand protect philippe ap audemars piguet so looking at the brand you're buying the material of the watch so at the moment steel is a very popular you know the steel sports Rolexes and steel sports. That's where we um, see the volume, isn't it? So? Yeah, there's there's a lot of volume there, so there's a lot of uh, demand there. New releases, so every year the big brands release their new watches, and there tends to be a, a, a lot of hype around them. And if you can get your hands on one that's you know just just comes out, that tends to be a, a good one to purchase. And um, um, I listened to one of your uh, podcasts before on the, on the artwork. And yeah. I think it's it's good to mention the point of buying something you actually like because there's no guarantee, you know. So if you do buy a watch for investment and it doesn't pan out that way, mm. um, it's good to have something that you actually like. And it's know? not overnight, you know, you don't double your money overnight. So if you can enjoy it at the same time, why wouldn't you? You know, instead of something you, you're not too too excited to put on your wrist, I mean, it takes the fun out of it. Yeah. You mentioned the art podcast. I'm going to mention something else because I was listening to you there and, and you were talking about waiting lists and things that, or wish lists even and yes. things like that. It, it sounds a little bit similar to sort of high-end cars or vehicles in very, so much as there's a, there's a lot of desirability around there. But because this is not my world, why don't you maybe take us through a few of the names in terms of the brands that you're dealing with? Because it, it's not something that's familiar to everybody. I mean, I'll start with Rolex. So... Rolex, most people know. Until you've experienced not being able to buy something which you want, you don't really understand it. So say you wanted to go and buy a Rolex Daytona, Rolex Submariner. They are the stainless steel volume watches. They're called the, the sports models. If you go into a Rolex shop and ask to hand over your money at the recommended retail price, there isn't one available. It's supply and demand. So what they do is they, they either say, we don't have one we can put you on the wish list, the waiting list, or what, what it's called in that shop, and you might get a phone call one day. But what, what the truth is, is there's a there's people spending a lot of money in there and they get prefer they get the you know that first come, first serve, but it comes to the people who spend a lot of money in their shop. Where we come into it is if someone wants a Rolex Daytona, they will come on Chrono Hunter, they'll get multiple offers, they can buy that watch that day. It's not at the RRP because we, we can't buy them at that price. It's at the market value. 
and that's because of supply and demand. Yeah. So, yeah, like Mike said, Rolex is, is um, there's a lot of volume on the Rolex side, side of things. Um, you've got Patek Philippe, which is a lot less in production. I think I think the Queen wore a Patek Philippe watch, so you can see there's, there's provenance with that brand, but it's the same story. You know, if you walk in and you ask for one of the demand in demand models, like a, a Nautilus or, or an Aquanaut, which are the sort of maybe seen as like the entry level watches, you, you wouldn't be able to get one. You know, the, you, you may wait five or 10 years or you may be waiting five or 10 years and still never get one. So there's a lot of people that do buy pre-owned for that reason, because they have their money, you know, and they want they want what they want. The same, like you said, with the luxury cars, there's, there's a lot of unacquirable cars and people buy them over the retail price because they have the money to do that. And they know that that is the, the value of it. What's the reasons for there not being a high supply? Are they just not making enough of the the sort of high end quality watches? I mean, it's supply and demand. It's as simple as that. And what what I think, don't quote me on it, but Rolex is around a, a million watches a year. But I think even if they doubled that, you'd still have this waiting list. And what, yeah. what happened is social media really kicked things off. In my view, no one used to. If I wore a watch, no one used to know what it was, and now. You get bombarded on social media. Everyone knows what everything is. So it, it became very fashionable as well. And then everyone started looking at them as a commodity. And the demand went the demand went up even more. Yeah, there was a point it sort of switched from being a, a luxury item to, a, a, like Matt said, a commodity and an, an asset um, that people were investing in. You know, there's a lot of clients that we have that never actually wear the watches they own. They, they hmm. just buy them to put in a safe or put in the safety deposit box for 10 years and, and you know, they'll, they'll look at it when the time comes and see what, what it's worth then. Yeah. Yeah, how they'll be able to tell when the time comes if the watch is sitting in a box is beyond me. But anyway, um, the, the sort of fees that are involved when you're buying, what are we talking about there, Max? Uh, we, we don't charge fees for someone coming in to purchase a watch. We, we charge fees on uh, selling a watch for a customer. That's the service we charge on. How does that work then, uh, selling a watch for a Chrono Hunter, Sam? Very simple. The same way as purchasing a watch. So we deal with live prices. So one of the reasons why we set up Chrono Hunter was because we went on to various well-known marketplaces that had watches advertised um, and made an inquiry to to buy, and they didn't actually have them in stock. They mm-hmm. were just advertised, and it was sort of a fishing exercise to, to take a deposit and then go out and, and source that watch. So with Chrono Hunter, it's different. A customer will say, this is the watch that I'm looking to uh, sell. We will then get the details of that and the images and give them an estimate based on historical transactions on our platform and, and other areas of where we can look at the data of, of advertised or sold watches. We'll give, an, give the customer an estimate. If they're happy with that estimate, or once that's agreed upon, it will go live to our network of retailers and then the offers will come in and we'll work on behalf of the client to secure them the best offers for the watch they're looking to sell. How, how does it work, Max, when, when you're selling, do you charge like a certain percentage of the, the, the value well, of the watch or what sort of fees would be involved there? So once the transaction has uh, been agreed and happened and the watch is being signed off, we, we charge a base fee of 5%. Yeah. And um, what we normally see is, we are getting better prices than most people because 
is in a competitive market. The watch goes up. Retailers have to offer the best price to get the watch. It, you know, you get multiple offers. And that also helps the, the the person selling their watch because they can see the real market value. Once you have yeah. more than one offer, you can that is market value. Instead of walking into a shop, you get one offer. This this puts it all in one place for you. I'll give you a very good example. We we had a client who was selling a Patek Philippe Nautilus Tiffany stamped dial, which is very sought after and not many in the world. And he, I think, when he purchased the watch, he purchased it for about twenty thousand dollars. And then he came to us a number of years later looking to sell it. And he asked for £50,000. So if he had walked into a, a retailer, you know, into a store and said, I'm looking for £50,000, they'll probably say, I'll give you forty-five and shake his hand. But we we put it up at uh, with no price because we didn't, you know, there wasn't... Very rare it wasn't, watch. Yeah, it was a, a rare watch. There wasn't enough examples of them selling to put a price on it at the time. So we put it up with no price. We got the customer £90,000 for his watch. And, you know, he was very happy. So, like I said, if, if he'd walked into a store, the chances were he would, he would have been... Uh, got his asking price. Yeah, got his asking yeah. price and, and missed out on a, on a lot of money there. So that's the benefit of, of selling via... Yeah. But when you were going through, like, your, your background, I think one of the things you mentioned was about things going wrong... It, what sort of things should people be looking out for in that sort of? Yeah, you might have examples of like things that have gone wrong in the past, and I just kind of I was quite intrigued to find out a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, so that's um, is this a lot that goes wrong? So you know, people it's a it's a small item that can be concealed, and people like Matt said, probably due to social media, people lo- know a lot more about the values of the items. So we unfortunately hear it way too often that people are advertising on open to the public marketplaces that are targeted by criminals. You know, they get maybe the asking price that they want um, and they you know might ask them to meet in a coffee shop or or wherever it may be. It can go wrong. So just touch. Yeah. And I've had first hand of that experience with a friend of mine who uh, was contacted buy one of these marketplaces and got his asking price and it was a well thought out story of it was a client who didn't speak very good English but he was interested in the watch and you know turned up to the coffee shop that was you know well presented in a suit the transaction was done he ended up with an envelope with 50 pound notes either side and paper in the middle when he had previously counted the money out so there was a, a switch done at some point and by the time he realised they were they were long gone, yeah. and it it was theft by deception, so it also wasn't covered on his insurance policy. So, you know, and and that's happening way too often. You you yeah, hear really starting Chrono Hunter. As yeah, well. that yeah. that was part of the idea, yeah. not opening it to the public. Yeah. So as Sam said, we're not open to the public. So if if someone in the public is selling their watch, is to a retailer. So you know they have a shop, they have a business. So you can make sure you know you get your money, you get the service, or if you're buying a watch from them, and it and it's got a warranty in a year's time, you can go back and get it fixed. So you know we're not we're we're here to provide a quality service. Yeah, and yeah. just another another sort of word of warning on that. There's a lot of clones like watches that have that are very very well put together, and they're almost identical you know you can only tell the difference once you take the back off the watch and and inspect the movement so you know there's private individuals that might think they're getting a bargain 
and end up with a with a uh, you know, non-genuine watch yeah. or it might even be a genuine watch with a non-genuine movement, which, you know, the movement's the expensive part. Yeah. How, how are you finding the, the market for luxury watches at the present time? It's, it's a level, it's more of a level market now than it has been in the, in the past couple of years. You know, prices went absolutely astronomical for, for the demand, in-demand uh, pieces. Um, and almost, well, they became unacquirable by a lot, right? So, it was there was a lot of people coming into the market that were just purchasing for speculation and as an investment like to buy and sell so the market was was uh, there was a lot of that going on uh, people that couldn't even pronounce the name of the watch they were looking to purchase but they knew it was it was going up in value so they were happy to to buy it that but goes hand in hand with covid doesn't it yeah covid covid happened disposable cash went through the roof people weren't going on holiday people weren't Going to to going out for dinner, travel cost, and um, you know you saw the property market go crazy. You saw the stock market go crazy. You saw the cryptocurrency go crazy, and watches were involved in that. Yeah. So that 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 drove the prices even higher. Watch with, during COVID, some of the watches weren't being manufactured because they had to shut the factories. So it fueled the supply and demand problem even more. So there was a big bubble, and it did come off. It was going up. You know, weeks and every week or m- month it was going up, and it was it was it was unheard of. Um, yeah. It was growing, and then it came off uh, at the same time as the stock market came off, and it and the crypto. You know, it goes hand in hand with luxury luxury items. Yeah, I think we're now we've now leveled off, but it's now leveled off, and we can see that there's a bit more stability. stability. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a buy. There's buyers opportunity in the market for people that wanted the you know wanted certain watches and they were just yeah. you know they were just so far above the rrp that it just didn't make any sense to, yeah. to purchase them um so now there's a lot more opportunity for buyers it's more stable for retailers you know it's all well and good when prices are going up by 20 yeah. percent, but if they're coming off by 20 percent, you know you can't work that into your your business forecast so it's better for everyone to have a stable market i think yeah and that's sort of where we're at now Okay. Which brands tend to have the, the highest resale value, Mark? The highest resale values are normally the, the Rolex and the Patek Philippe. The, the, the reason behind that is the supply and demand. They've got such a great name and everyone wants one. Anything stainless steel, Rolex, Patek Philippe, you, if, you, if you're lucky enough to buy it from the, the Rolex shop or the RRP, they're, they're above it. You know, A Rolex Daytona is double the price from the shop and that that is just down to supply and demand it hasn't always been like that though 10 years ago or so you probably be able to walk past the shop and purchase one so it has changed in the last 10 years where you walk into the shop now and you'd be lucky to try one on never alone purchase it so Mm -hmm. they're the real brands which which are you know highest resale it's a really interesting, uh, really interesting market. This a couple of things that occurred to me uh, as you were sort of talking over the beginning of the show as well, Sam. I think it was you said um, you had a luxury watch which you went on to sell. I was wondering, on a, on a purely personal level, how you came into that. Was it something you bought yourself, or something that perhaps you inherited? No, it was something I purchased myself. Yeah, yeah, good for um, you. Just, just looking into it and a friend of mine was more into his watches than I was and sort of told me it was an interest, you know, said, look, it's not going to lose money. You can, you know, it's 
they've been going up in value. So that sort of convinced me um, that it was it was a good idea. Yeah, and when I sold it, I did I did make some money on it. So it wasn't you know it turned out to be good advice. As a market, it it, it strikes me as something that would probably be you know more appealing to to a male market or. If not that, then a male buying for a female, or a female buying for a male. But, but you know, you really have um, it, predominantly male market. Um, if we if we look at our uh, database, it's just it's just who has the interest in, in it. Yeah. And obviously, you do see males buying for females, but we do obviously transact with females as well. But it is male predominantly. Yeah, even even on the selling side, if if we do have a, a ladies looking to sell a watch. More often than not, they've been purchased. It's been purchased by their partner or, mm. you know, a male. Yeah. In the um, family. You touched on some of the things that can go wrong as well. Whenever we're looking at something like, and I'll use property as an example, for instance, the general rule of thumb is that most property over time will tend to rise in value. I'm assuming that compares in exactly the same way with, with luxury watches, Sam. Yeah, I think it just comes down to which which watch. So when we talk about luxury watches, there's there's a, a big array of brands that we can associate that to. Some of which you can still purchase for you know a discount on the RRP. So I think it does come back to buying the right brands and buying even the right models within those brands. And then if that's the case, then then yes, it can be. You know, it can you can say the same for those watches that over over the years they will appreciate in value. I mean, the production, the RRP of these uh, brands is increasing every year. You know, with with their costs and associated costs for materials. I think Rolex, for example, this year increased on average two point six percent across their range, and then some models that were in like the precious metals went up over ten percent. And that's just on the RRP, not taking into account, not taking into account, you know, the, the demand of these of these watches. So yeah, for the right watches, they can also appreciate over time and and over the years. How, how do you guys see the demand going for luxury watches, both kind of in the shorter term and maybe more longer term? Short term, it's hard at the moment because there is quite a lot of uncertainty in the market. Or all different markets at the moment. As we touched on briefly, it has leveled off the market, so it's more yeah, it's stable now. Um, but in the long term, I do I do see it going back to pre-COVID, where it steadily steadily grew. Get involved with uh, with insuring people's watches or maintaining or repairing them, Sam. We have contacts, and we can we can make referrals. So we don't do that ourselves. You know, we don't we don't. Um, through Krona Hunter, we don't insure or repair the watches, but we we can definitely make the referrals to the right people, you know, that are accredited on the repair and, and the servicing side. And then also on the insurance side of things, we we also have partners that we work with that we can refer to that are, you know, that provide a good service as well. Again, one of the things that we, we increasingly come across in, in other financial markets is scamming. Now, you, you've touched on this a little bit, but is that something that is really prevalent in your world? I'm thinking not just in physical terms, but in terms of digitally as well? And if so, you know, what, what sort of things do you see taking place, Sam? I think you, you do have to have your wits about you. One of the reasons why we set up Corona Hunter was to um, allow people to transact in a, in a safe environment. So they're only transacting with retailers when they're buying and selling. There are obviously a lot of 
marketplaces where you can sell to private individuals. It's open to the public, which which then so you're open to a wider audience and, and people that might have questionable you know intentions when when they're contacting you. There's a lot of time wasters. There are a lot of, of scammers that will that do target this market. I mean, if you're if you're out and about. You know, it's always best, I would say, to to if you're if you're carrying if you're wearing a luxury watch, to have it up your sleeve. You know, because it's a, it's a lot more nowadays. People do know the values of these, and and you know they can get you can get targeted on the on the street if you've got a watch that's worth you know tens of thousands or even mm. thousands of pounds. Yeah, it's it's you know that's that's a risk. Fortunately, as the world we're in now, really, with you know from any item. Yeah, exactly. And then you know online, you do have to. You know, there's so much going on. I mean, even even recently, a friend of mine was looking to sell something on a on a, one of the social media marketplaces and had an email come through saying, "I've sent you the money. Here's a confirmation of the bank transfer." And and there was, you know, it was just a fake one. You know, so that's happening regularly. So yeah, it's it's like anything. You just just if anything sounds too good to be true, you know, you should you should think twice. Really, if you're getting your full asking price for a watch that's advertised on a on a, a marketplace that's open to the public and they're not haggling or what have you, then, then, you know, I would, I would question that always. And, you know, we've, we've had it before though, where customers will come to us and go, I've got a better price elsewhere. And we go, you know, tell us the price. And we go, it's too good to be true because the retailer is mm. not selling it at that price. So it, it doesn't make financial sense to anyone to buy it for that price. So, and then you, they, they come back to us and go, Yes, that person's gone quiet or Yeah. And if someone does choose to sell privately over, you know, the service we offer, then I would definitely say don't let anyone come to your house. You know, that's a big no no. Maybe take a form of identification and, and or something like that up front so you know who you're dealing with. And if they if there's any sort of alarm bells like someone won't provide that or I would avoid it at all costs. So yeah, you just gotta have your have your wits about you really. Okay, any tips for, for any of our listeners who would be considering investing in luxury watches, Max? Yes, 100%. As we, as we touched on the last time, make sure you like the watch you're buying because nothing's, uh, nothing's guaranteed. If I personally was you know, looking to put a, buy a watch for an, an investment, I would go down the stainless steel route, and that's the material of the watch. That seems to be in the highest demand from... You know, you could wear that to dinner, you can wear that at work. It's not you've got a solid gold watch and so there's more of a demand for it. I would stick to the, the larger brands, such as Rolex and Protect Leap, as we spoke about earlier. I mean, there are Amigas and other watches. And and do your homework. Look look at the, you know, it's quite easy now online to have a look at what these watches were selling for four years ago. And you can you can look at the trends and how ha- ha- you know really spend some time and doing your homework and and if it's your first purchase definitely make sure you it's one you want to keep you know you always your first watch is always a special watch my first watch i bought i'd never ever sell it i hope i don't need to sell it and uh even if i was offered double the money it means a lot to me so it depends if you're buying purely for an investment or you're buying to to enjoy it if someone's looking to buy or sell a luxury watch, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch with, with you at Chrono Hunter, Sam? So they can come onto the website, www.chronohunter.com, and they can submit uh, via our forms on the on the buying or the selling, or we have a telephone number on there as well. 
Um, so we're always happy to discuss with people if they're, if they're just thinking about a purchase. We can always, you know, provide some information, some some help and some guidance on that if it is specifically for investment um, or, or, you know, if, if it's for just a, something to enjoy. And uh, yeah, cool. so that's how they can reach out to us. Thank you so much for being our guest on the show this week, Sam. Mags, really interesting stuff. Now, as we always do, Phil, in your podcast, we take a look at how our subject matter has affected your own life, both professionally and personally. So what do you want to focus on from today's show on investing in luxury watches? Yeah, thanks to, to Sam and Max for coming on. I found out really interesting today. Like I said earlier, it's not an area that I've got much knowledge in at all. Um, I've never really had any watches myself. I bought some like Gucci watches for girlfriends and stuff like that, but never I think at the the kind of level that the guys are are speaking about today. So I've I've really taken a lot from the the podcast today. I know one of our financial advisors here, he was really keen to do this episode because he is into watches big time, but unfortunately he's off on holiday. The schools are off this week here. So he's off at the minute or else I would have actually got him to do this show. But I know he was looking to buy a a new Rolex. But when he'd went to to one of the local shops, he'd came across the same thing where the, the wait time was just, horrendous and can't get get them at all so i guess that's like anything it's all supply and demand is it and certainly from the guys speaking today the the demand seems to to certainly be be there so but no i've really really enjoyed the show and thanks thanks so much for coming on max and sam thanks for having us really enjoyed it yeah thanks john thanks phil also in the podcast, a regular bit we delve into is Phil's quote of the week. Being a fan, as Phil is, of influential and motivational sayings and quotes. What do you have this week on our topic of investing in luxury watches, Phil? Yeah, the quote I've got here, I think it's a slogan from Rolex. It doesn't just tell time, it tells history. Hmm. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if that's what you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details in just a moment. I'll give it to you after this. Uh, the first one's from Helen in Ardrossan. Hi, Phil. For the first time, I'm working in a company which is offering an annual bonus either in cash or stocks and shares in the company. And I'm wondering what's the best thing to do and what the tax implications might be for either. Can you help, please? Yeah, a lot will depend on whether you need the money out or not. If you take the cash bonus, it's just taxed as if it was part of your your normal income. Usually when you get the option of shares, that tends to be more through sort of share share save schemes. Now, with, with them, they're usually over a period of three to five years, but they're also normally done on more of a monthly basis as opposed to, to annually. Share save schemes, they can be a really good way to build up savings and you've got less risk involved there as well, the, the way that they work. We could actually probably do a whole episode on share save schemes. That might be one for, for the coming weeks to, to maybe have a look at. So we'll maybe try and get one done there. But there can be good tax advantages of the share save, share save schemes. Some of these schemes as well allow you to use ISA wrappers and that can be advantageous as well, but probably one to, to maybe take some, some financial advice on and see based on your, your personal circumstances, I would say. And does uh, Helen and Ardrossan receive any sort of tip fee for uh, coming up with an idea for an episode, Phil? <laughs> I know. That's a, it's funny. We've done, is this episode 161? 162, I think. Is it? I lose track, and I knew we were up in 160 something, but that's an area we've just not covered at all. So mm. probably a, a good one to to look at there. Slightly similar to this one, I guess. It's from Leslie who asks, "Hi Phil, unexpectedly come into a bit of cash from an elderly relative. 
to the tune of £20,000. I've never had anything like this before, and initially I was hoping to invest it straight into an ISA, partly so it's out of sight, out of mind, but also so if it's there, I need to access it suddenly, and also hopefully to make some more money while it's invested. Is this my best option? Is there anything else I need to take into account that I'm missing? Yes, you could consider a luxury watch. That would be one option. <laughs> or whatever. Look, looking at investing, you when well mentioned the ISAs there. You, you get two types of ISA. You, you've got cash ISAs and stocks and shares ISAs. The good news for Leslie is that you can actually split the money between the two components. Cash ISAs tend to be more readily accessible. Money in stocks and shares, ISAs, it can often be taken out quickly, but if the investment's gone down, you could end up with less than what you actually invested. So shares, ISAs, they should definitely be looked at as more of a longer-term investment. But cash ISA rates, they're pretty good just now, so you should probably do quite well with, with something like that at the moment, I would say. And no better place to... to put that in in terms of investing it for and, and you know so much as you know a fairly safe option like sticking it in the post office for instance i mean is there anything that she should be looking at and considering instead of yeah a, i mean you, you've got quite quite a number of different options i, I would say like cash ices for example are good because you've no tax to pay mm. on on anything you make off of that you often tend to find i mean you've got like one year fixed term bonds two years three years five years then you've got the option to invest in the money, things like stock market. But it, it kind of really depends if you need that money and what the longer term sort of plans are for are for it. Okay. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics now and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Manis. Thank you for joining us for episode 162 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thanks also to our guests, Sam and Max of Chrono Hunter. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question you can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or whenever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. And thanks again for, for coming on, Sam and Max. It's been a really good show today. Thanks a lot. No, thank you. Enjoyed it. It's our first one, so probably a bit bit sticky and rusty, but it was, uh, it was interesting. Oh, it was, I found it really interesting. No, it's been great. Yeah.